um, looking ahead to be able to really prepare our students to be successful in the way of fulfillment, happiness, joy, and how they can be, you know, creative change makers going forward in this world that is full of potential and a bit of uncertainty. Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Enrique Marquez. In June of 2021, Enrique Marquez arrived on the campus of the renowned Interlochen Center of the Arts in Interlochen, Michigan, as its new director of music. Founded in 1928, it's almost as old as I am, Interlochen offers students from grades 3 through 12 a wealth of arts education opportunities through several programs, including its boarding school, the Arts Academy, and its summer arts camp. Before becoming an admired arts administrator and educator, Enrique was a professional violist who made his Carnegie Hall debut in 2005. He served as principal viola of the Orchestra of the Americas and the Jeunesse Musicale World Orchestra. And he performed in over 25 countries in the Americas, Asia, and Europe, with such conducting giants as Kurt Mazur, Lauren Mazel, Gustavo Dudamel, and Valery Gergiev. In his native Mexico, Enrique went on to become the youngest director general of the Veracruz Cultural Institute. He also founded the Boca del Rio Orchestra, which quickly became treasured not only for its performances, but also for its impact in the community as a cultural and educational hub. He also earned a master's in cultural policy and management from City University London, and a master's in education at Harvard University Graduate School of Education. Enrique spoke to me from his office on the Interlochen campus. I asked him to describe what a director of music does at Interlochen, and what he in particular hoped to bring to the position. So I'm I'm an Interlochen alum, as you know. I attended the Interlochen Arts Camp, 96, 97, 98, and I attended the Academy, 96 to 98. So I was here as a student. I never thought I would be the director of music. I mean, it's such an honor to be here, sitting where I am, working with my peers. Some faculty members are still here from when I was a student. So it is a great um, honor to, to you know, work with them from this capacity. So what I do is I work mostly with the faculty, the administration, the students. Everything we, we you know, create, we launch, we, we, we work on, it's always uh, with the students in mind what is best for our students, how are we preparing them to be part of, uh, no, in, a, in a way, a world full of potential. Technology is taking us places we have never, you know, dreamed of going, we maybe even going to Mars before the next two decades. The internet is, is just uniting us in ways that were unthinkable before. So we always think, how can we, you know, with our curriculum, bring our students to a place where they can thrive, they can be successful, and they can be, I think, the most important is happy. How can they be, uh, you know, happy, fulfilled human beings, adults? So Interlochen has Interlochen 5, which is, this is our, our five key capacities, which are mindfulness and resilience, creative capacity, interdisciplinary perspective and collaboration, global and cultural perspective, and community and citizen artistry. So these are our, our guiding posts at Interlochen, which are, again, this was a long process, a very thoughtful one. 
in which um, we are, of course, striving to, you know, have wonderful concerts, very refined performances, uh, have our students really go in depth in their, in their craft, having them collaborate with our divisions. We do um, a lot of musical theater, we do uh, ballets, we, we work with the composers, work with, with the writers. So uh, it's a place where, you know, we have dis- several disciplines. We have music, we have film, we have theater, visual arts, creative writing, interdisciplinary arts. So there is really, it's a unique place where high school students are engaging with Pirandello, with, um, you know, the latest singer-songwriter songs, with Beethoven Five, with uh, Winter Marsalis Tuba Concerto. So it's just a place that I think is unlike any other. So as a director of music, I lead Interlochen's largest division, which have, uh, we have a classical music, we have contemporary music, singer-songwriter, and music production and engineering. So again, as a student here, you can learn how to, you know, create a podcast. You can take woodwind quintet. You can take a class on jazz improvisation. So the beauty of this place also, if you come here as a student, you can be part of many ensembles. Many students play in the orchestra and in the jazz combo. So they're doing all these kind of things. The students often interact among our disciplines within music. So it's, it's really a great place to be. So I get to the honor to lead this division to work alongside or administration, and uh, we are, you know, um, looking ahead to be able to really prepare our students to be successful in the way of fulfillment, happiness, joy, and how they can be, you know, creative change makers going forward in this world that is full of potential and a bit of uncertainty. With the, what we know, what we know is happening with climate, with with many things that are worried, very worrying for this, for society. So we want them to be able to be conscious of what's happening and how they can really contribute through the arts or whatever they do later. Many of our students end up being leaders you know, in, in other fields, which is absolutely great. We're very proud of them. But I think the common denominator is a passion for the arts, a passion to, for being here, and just uh, our faculty is extremely devoted. Many of them have been here for decades, so they really know, you know how to work with our students. We have a very broad international student body. Music is about 20% international students. So that, that gives another, you know, another perspective to the way uh, our students interact with each other. They get to know people from all over the U.S., from all over the world, which is also kind of beautiful. So among your students, you must have a few or several who have expressed interest in making art or performing their career. How do you prepare them to be in the world as performing artists in this 21st century? Great question. I mean, I, I think there is a no better time to be a performer. But what we're also trying to, to share with the students is that there are many routes they can take. They can be a performer. They can play in a symphony orchestra. They can play in a new music ensemble. They can be a musicologist. They can be a professor. They can be uh, you know, an administrator, a leader. That's, I, I see the arts in the music as an, as an ecosystem in which all elements are, in a way, equally important. So how they, they can really affect, affect music, affect change through what, um, what they're passionate about, which is, in this case, is music. But I, I see some students that I see, well, this student is, you know, always early for rehearsal, helping out, setting the music, trying to be supportive of the staff. They can be an, an arts administrator because they, they have the chops, they have the attitude of, of service, of being there. Other students are very thoughtful. Uh, they're engaged with literature. They they have this incredible discussion. So I think maybe, maybe this student can go more into an intellectual field, or be you know a musicologist or somebody who does research and expands our field. So going back to when you yourself were training 
to become a violist. Mm-hmm. Very early on in your career, you started taking on leadership roles and a lot of social service work, I think. How did that focus develop? Who told you about those possibilities? I mean, I come from a family of educators. So um, those are, I think, people of service in, in a way. They, you know, they are there to support others, to work towards others. So I, was, I had that at home. And I've been given so many opportunities in my life through scholarships, through grants, through support of mentors. I've been really, truly blessed. So what I, what I at, a, at a turning point in my life, I said, you know, I want to, in a way, give back. I want to now create for others so that they have what I had. Others with, that they maybe didn't have my upbringing as a middle-class person from a family that was in, in, in the arts. So um, I just see there is no better way to, to spend youth and then, then, in a way, be part of, of music education, be, be part of a program. I just, in a way, want to give back. I think I have some leadership qualities. I was always organizing things in my school tournaments or conference or this or the other. So, I, I, in a way, I always had that curiosity. Um, I'm an avid reader. Coming to Interlochen, I attended many plays, the ballets, art exhibits. So, I, I became, in a way, a cultural citizen that I was em- embracing other art forms. How young were you the first year you were at Interlochen? I was 15. Okay. I didn't know anybody in the U.S. And wow. um, so it's, um, it's, I know. How was your English at the time? Were you fluent? It was okay. I tested into English one. I mean, not as it is now, but what I did, I, I told my friends, please correct me all the time. No matter how small <laughs> it is, please correct me. So I'm grateful that they were patient enough with me to, to know. But I mean, also been reading here, I took English classes where I read Kurt Vonnegut. I read all these American, great American writers. I read some, even some Shakespeare. So I, I got into reading quite a bit. And I think that helped my speaking abilities. I still make mistakes, of course, but I mean, it's a language that I love. And uh, I've been living here for a very long time. So I, I've embraced the, you know, the culture and the way, the way things are here, which is, is wonderful. There, I think there is no, no country like this. So looking, uh, this is maybe an unfair question to ask, but you've done, your resume is so impressive, especially in terms of the many ways you've given back. What project up to this point are you proudest of? Where do you think you've had the greatest impact up to now? I mean, I think the greatest impact I've had so far is is to further the arts through a number of ways. I mean, my proudest achievement, I think, is right now being at Interlochen. I mean, I never thought I would be here. So this is, this is, this is truly a blessing and I'm grateful, so grateful for this. But in my past experiences where I had, what I've been for a, a bit more time, I founded an orchestra in Mexico, which was incredibly meaningful. I mean, I never thought I would have the chance to launch an orchestra from scratch. It is incredibly difficult, but we were able to create jobs for 70 musicians, staff members. We were able to have an, an orchestra that became, you know, like the local team for a community that did not have an orchestra before. So that meant, you know, deciding which administrative positions to have, hiring for those, auditioning all the musicians. How, how old were you at the time when this when this I happened? was 33. If you could go back and give yourself a couple of tutorials <laughs> on how to do it, what would have been most helpful for you to know at the time about founding an orchestra from the ground up? I would say that ignorance is bliss. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that a lot on this podcast, actually. <laughs> if people had known, they would have never done it. <laughs> it's just so difficult. But, um, you know, um, that's part of the, the beauty of being, you know, like curious and thinking, what a great idea, let's do it. So, I mean, I just loved that opportunity. I mean, it took a big, I was working in Boston, I could have stayed there, but I, I met the, the mayor of this city. 
he mentioned the idea to have an orchestra. So I said, well, this is wonderful. Let, let's do it. And what city is this? This is Boca del Rio in Mexico's Gulf Coast, um, right where the conquistadors arrived 100 years ago, Hernán Cortés. You can still see his house there. It's, it's the continent's oldest municipality. There's a lot of history. It was the, the, the gateway of Europe and the Middle East to Mexico and to, this, to the Americas in a way. So it's a... Uh, so it has a wonderful, wonderful history, um, you know, full of uh, ups, and, um, ups and downs. So I, I launched this orchestra. And also the beauty was that we had, an, it was, I thought a lot about, you know, we're launching an orchestra. We cannot do the same thing everybody's doing. How do we have an orchestra for the 21st century? Yeah, especially, as you said, in the city where the colonials first landed, yeah. you don't want to just do European <laughs> music, right? It's got extra pressure there or uh, yeah, to do something different. Absolutely. I mean, I'm... Um, I love European music, but there's so much, so so much great music around. So that my my view was that a performing artist today needs to be able to perform more than one genre. So we had, you know, Mexican music. We had, uh, of course, some world premieres. We commissioned new works. We, of course, played the great European masterworks. We had some children's concerts. We have movie concerts, movie music concerts, and, and so that was one one part of it. The other part was half the orchestra playing chair music ensembles in the city, in the city center, in shopping centers, in all folks' homes, in hospitals, so that we were going out into the community. They didn't have to come to the concert hall on Friday to hear the orchestra. So we established a rapport with the community and a sense that you know we're part of, we're, we are all one. We're an, a community in this city. And the third aspect for me, the most important, was the music education aspect. We had a program called Orquestando Harmonia, Orchestrating Harmony, for 350 children after school, three hours every day, orchestra and choir, that the musicians from the orchestra also taught. So the orchestra always had two main responsibilities, the orchestra and either chamber music or music education. So I think we, we created some ecosystem that was, in a way, like self-feeding, because the children in the, in the orchestra, in the kids' orchestra, are now probably... 2021, the oldest one. Some are already now in music, in music school, trying to be musicians. So we, we create, in a way, uh, long-term audience development. There are people that, you know, the orchestra became their thing to do on Friday. They became friends. And what, what we did also is we, we uh, created a, a cultural center for the orchestra, which we thought a lot about. We thought we want to have a cultural center that is uh, open all day. They have restaurants, they have a bookshop, they have some little shops. And it's a sign that has three stages. So you can have, you know, a movie going on at the same time as a, as a jazz recital, as an orchestra concert. So it's a place where people can go. Often, as you know, cultural centers are beautiful, but they open three times a week for two hours each night. And they're closed the rest of the time. So we wanted a place that, that was thriving and that was able to bring communities together that found, you know, a common love for the arts. And the arts meaning all, all kinds. And the orchestra is still thriving. The cultural center is still. It is. Yeah, it's still thriving. It's. Um, it's. Yeah. It must have been hard to leave. It, it was hard to leave. Yes, but um, but I think that's also part of being a leader. That when in Harvard they call it the bus test. That if a bus runs you over, it keeps going. So I launched that program with the help of many people. I left, and it's still thriving. So I think it, it was, you know, in a humble way, it, it was done well. It was done in a, in a meaningful manner that no matter who is there, it belongs to the community and it's still going. Then I went to work at Harvard University and then I came to Interlochen. But uh, it was a wonderful achievement just to, you know, go back to back home and create such a meaningful, in a way, an orchestra to, that I hope it stays for, for, for a long time and it, it will. 
And the people have that, the joy of going to a concert and, you know, young people getting to learn an instrument. And the goal, again, was not to, you know, create musicians. I mean, yeah, it was excellence was the bottom line, but we wanted them to have a sense of citizenship, a sense of belonging, a sense of pride of, of being, you know, on the spotlight to be able to, to, to work hard towards something, an achievement. I think that's also something that I like to talk about is how the arts are such a democratic discipline. You need to, you know, invest your time. Well, if you have access to them, Absolutely. you need to have an organization like yours that opens the doors, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Access is, yeah, access, access and choices, uh, access and options are the most important. Um, so I think that's a duty in a way of, of hopefully if our students are talking, we'll be doing similar work and hopefully better than, than what I did. They will look at their training here as a, as a place where, where they learn that they can trust themselves and that they can take projects that, that seem, you know, completely unreachable. You brought music to and work with under-resourced communities, I would call them, throughout the Caribbean and Latin America, Haiti and Dominican Republic among them, and Venezuela, was it? Yeah, Haiti, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Mexico. Right. And yet you've also worked, you worked at Harvard, you've worked at Interlock, and both institutions that, that are not poor, let's say. Uh, this is such a general question that I apologize in advance, but what have you learned about wealth and accessibility <laughs> and the arts as you travel back and forth between these different worlds. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. The first time I heard the Berlin Philharmonic was, I think, 1999. I was in the World Orchestra in Berlin on tour, so we went to a rehearsal, a, a first rehearsal for their New Year's concert. And I just could not believe it. Such an outstanding orchestra. I started literally crying. I could not believe my ears on how powerful, what, you know, what the extent of expression, of commitment, of just the joy that was coming out of the stage. So I thought, this is the golden standard. This is excellence. Nothing, you know, nothing beats that. And for a long time, that, that was my, that was the bar. Um, then I went to Haiti and I was started working with, you know, young musicians who were sharing uh, one cello among five young musicians, rehearsing in the middle, not in the middle of a street, but, you know, in a place where you could hear the cars, there's mosquitoes, it's hot, it's humid, a lot of noise, people rehearsing in the corner of each room. This is after the earthquake in Haiti. So we did Brandenburg 6 over there, among other pieces. And to me, that was far more excellent than the Berlin Philharmonic, because there is so much against. I mean, you're, everything is against you. The climate, the resources, the instruments, are, you know, it, it's, it's really difficult. But I thought, you know, these students are giving so much that we had a very good performance of Brandenburg 6. Also, I mean, I was in uh, Venezuela in the very remote area of Canaima, where you can only get there in an, in an airplane. There are no roads to get there. Doing Barbara Daggio, for example. So I thought, well, this is amazing. We're in Barbara Daggio in the middle of this amazing Tepui Mountains. So what I see is that, you know, devotion, work, commitment is the same, no matter where, no matter if it's a place like Harvard or Interlochen or Haiti or, or Venezuela. The, the thing is, I mean, it, it's... Um, that's as you said, uh, access is, is key. It's far more difficult to transcend social or economic barriers in Latin America than in the US, because in this country still you can work hard and, and you know there are ways to to achieve a, a better career or, or whatever dream you have. Um, that is a great difference. Now, um, there are always scholarships for, for students to come here. So I think just it's in a way very similar what I've experienced at elite programs that I've experienced in, in, in programs that are also, you know, so, so well thought of, but with so many things against. Do you still find time? How's, how's your performing career going? 
It's, I mean, I perform very, very little. I mean, I used to play one concert a year in Carnegie Hall with some friends. And that was my, my one performance a year. So it's great in a way because when I play, I love it. And when I don't, I don't miss it. So it, it's <laughs> like the best of both worlds. I perform I was titled with the faculty this summer. We played the Allegiance for Mother's Fifth. Uh, so that was, that was a great joy to play with, you know, with colleagues in, in, here in, in, in Interlochen. But I, I don't think this is a sacrifice. I think it's, um, it's just how, how can I best serve? I mean, I learned this from Clive Gillinson at Carnegie Hall. I met him a few times, and he always say, you know, at Carnegie Hall, we always think about how can Carnegie Hall best serve music through our decisions. So I thought that is that, that wonderful way to approach, you know, leadership. So I always think in my, in my humble, like in my own way, how can I best serve music? So I'm, yeah, I'm a good violist, but there are violists who are far better than I am who can play in a symphony or an opera house. I think I am more useful to music through my role as a leader at Interlochen, as an administrator, as an, a person who is engaging with so many art forms that I, I can make and make and, you know, uh, thrive in music that way and make music better for many others in, in this capacity that I can as a violist. Um, so others can do it so much better than I can. And that, that, that's just a difficult decision to make. I was in New York City when I made that decision. I was an intern at Lincoln Center. It was my first administrative job. I was learning the ropes there. And I really loved it. I thought, this is really great. I, I, I think I'm good at this. I, I'm really enjoying it. But I had to make a choice to really focus on that career path. And I thought, well, my friends are going to think I'm a failure. I didn't make it. I'm lesser. And that was just in my head because my friends are still my friends. Most of my friends are musicians. So I'm very, very much involved in the cultural sector. But I had to get that across in my head that it's not that I was giving something up or that I could make it. It's that I found a better way to serve music. What about your leadership journey? Do you have a sense of how you'd like to be challenged in the future as a leader? Um, not how, but I want to keep being challenged every day because I think that really um, builds character and it, it allows us to grow as human beings, as leaders, as, you know, hopefully thoughtful, caring people that we are. I'm always grateful for a challenge or, or something that, that is, that is that, you know, we, we have, how can we make this program really thrive? How, how can we get our minds together and do it? I take it a day at a time. I'm, I love my, my work here. I'm here. I hope to continue a career in the arts in this country or elsewhere. But I just think that um, it's just in a way great to be able to do what I do. And I just hope to always be able to you know, serve music in the best way I can and culture and the arts. I love reading as a passion of mine. Um, I'm caring, taking care more of what I eat, what I exercise. You know, it's uh, trying to be thoughtful of that. But it's, you know, it's, um, I, I made some great friends here, colleagues in the faculty and the staff. So it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And I think, I mean, education is also it's a very noble career. You know, you, you really get to, to be there for others and create for others. And that's, you know, it's so fulfilling to me. I, I always like to get to know new music, a new composer, a new work of all kinds of music. I'm now learning about popular music quite a bit, which is so, so wonderful. So, yeah, it's just expanding the, you know, or in a way being less ignorant every day or expanding the knowledge, <laughs> however you want to look at it. That's a good mission for every day to become less ignorant. Yes. I really like that. <laughs> well, the Japanese should aim to be 1% better every day than yesterday. Oh. And, you know, if you do that, you would be 300% better every year. So the thing is yeah. those small increments and how everything adds up, you know. If you're able, I mean, I love swimming, for example, so I try to swim four times a week. 
so you see the changes in weeks or months, but uh, or like reading in the morning or at night, having you know a coffee with a friend. So it's just a nice way to to grow and to I mean you know as life goes on, the perspective changes and priorities change. So try to be ahead of the curve, ahead of the game if I can. But then again, I think every day is it's, a, it's an opportunity to be to be of service and to be to be around great people. If you enjoyed this or any of our episodes, please let us know by leaving us a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you use. Do you want to let me know of an artist changemaker in your community you think we should profile? I'd love that. Please find me at PC Talenti on either Instagram or Twitter. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.